Están escuchando el viaje medianoche con el gran Guillermo. Este cinefilo lo va a llevar fantasmal por miles y miles. It's uh, it's it's that time for a little midnight ride. Um, tonight's episode or today's, I guess, depending on when you're listening, is programmed by the deadliest of dolls, the dolliest of dolls, uh, a lady that's got a great reputation in our community. She's been around since the beginning. Um, she does a, a wonderful, wonderful podcast of her own, uh, the Feminine Critique, and. Um, that, of course, is Emily, the deadly doll herself. So this episode is about a film from 1974 called Devil Times Five, or the title she prefers, and the title I prefer to say, People Toys. <laughs> so this film, as you could, you may be able to guess from the title, is about uh, killer children or evil children, sort of demon seed kids. And... Um, it's actually a public domain film. It's pretty readily available. I think Code Red picked it up and and put it out through their label, and they have a pretty good reputation for uh, picking stuff up that's kind of off the beaten path. Like, uh, I don't know if it was Baker County, USA, or whatever it was, the Silva one. I mean, they've, they've, they've got it all. They've put a lot of good stuff out over the years. Um, but People Toys is, or <laughs> Devil Times Five, is a, is a, is quite a curious film. It's um, it's got a bizarre cast, and it's about five evil children. Now I have to say that this film actually first came to me through I'd heard about it over the years. You know, you hear titles uh, inevitably being a genre fan, and uh, this title just I kept kind of dancing around it, and I thought it was a really fantastic title. In fact, I'd say it's one of the better titles in in genre film. Devil Times Five, right? Because it's as you guessed it probably five evil children um, but the the impetus for me to really see this came about with the mill creeps and their fantastic review of it um, some episodes ago if you go through their archive you can certainly find it and truth be told when I started this project the 21 for 31 uh, 21 uh, horror films in 31 days I had hoped that someone was going to pick this and one of the other films that mill creeps had covered which I will get to at a later episode um, but they covered it and I was just I was pretty even more intrigued to see it so I'll read the synopsis although I think it's it's 
pretty easy to ascertain what, what it's going to be, and that is five extremely disturbed sociopathic children escape from their psychiatric transport and are taken in unwittingly by a group of adult villagers on winter vacation. Um, the biggest pull for me, cast-wise, for some it might be the Mighty Leaf Garrett, who's one of the... Actually, you know, he's not one of the people toys. He's one of the, the kids who likes to play with the people toys. And above and beyond him, um, well, the person for me that I was most excited to see was uh, a, a man that played a pretty big part in my childhood. I waited at the in, in Edmonton in a lineup for several hours as a boy of probably four or five years old to get his autograph. He's one of the great white suit-wearing villains in the history of TV and film. That's Sorrel Book, a.k.a. Boss Hog. And it's really interesting to see him in this film because certain actors become so associated with the look of a, of a, of a role of theirs that's become iconic, uh, whether it's Christopher Reeve in his Superman suit or... Um, I don't know. It's a little bit later in the evening, so I, 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 my ability to recall things isn't as good as it should be. But certain actors uh, inevitably become assigned a specific look uh, because of a role they've taken on that's been so iconic. Um, and for Sorrel, it's of course Mr. Hogg himself. In this, he looks great. He looks like a sort of sleazy Armenian gynecologist, and uh, basically. Um, yeah, he's one of the uh, one of the people toys. So other than him, um, you have an actor named Taylor Locker who looks eerily like um, Kent Hall in our group, which I posted some photos up a little while ago. Um, Shelley Morrison, who, truth be told, I didn't really know her by name. She plays Ruth. Um, she's done a lot of stuff, including The Flying Nun and a lot of TV otherwise. But um, she's... Uh, she had an interesting look, uh, interesting looking woman, certainly back in the day. Um, one of the things that really struck me about this film is uh, how much snow there is in this. Like it says here in the filming locations, Lake Arrowhead, San Bernardino National Forest, California, and Los Feliz, Los Angeles, California. But I don't know, man. Lake, it looked more like, uh, like Buffalo or somewhere in the snow belt. I mean, there's a lot of snow on this film set I mean or set but the the film the, the shooting locations I mean a lot of snow to the point where it's like it's got to be Buffalo you know what I mean or, or Quebec or something um, but there's nothing here to indicate it otherwise so um thankfully the film well maybe they did have logistics logistical problems because of all the snow that the film is set primarily in a lot of interiors um, which I think works well, right? Because you get people that are uh, sort of trapped in a way in a home. They become isolated from everyone else. The ability to, to escape peril is greatly diminished when it's, it's snowy. And they, they don't make a thing really of it to say, we're snowed in, we have nowhere to go. But um, it does enable things, the, the children to, um, to get into things a little bit easier. Um, now, as far as the direct, I think it's a, it was directed by two men, Sean McGregor and David Sheldon. I don't really know that much about them in terms of their um, their filmographies. I can tell you that um, McGregor, 
did six things. November Children, Gentle Savage, People Toys, Nightmares of Nam, A Mission to Kill, and Tiger Cage in 2012. So, oh wow, it's got William Smith in it. That's pretty amazing. So I'll have to look into that. Nice. Um, so he did those five things. People Toys was right in the middle of this, of the sixth thing. Well, basically, kind of essentially in the middle alongside um, um, uh, one of his other films. And he seems to have written most of the stuff he's done as well. So he's someone that kind of wanted to get it done, got it off the ground, and did what he needed to do. Now, um, Shel David Sheldon, the other director of the film, um, he's worked quite a bit. In fact, wow, he's got a pretty um, a pretty impressive resume. He was a um, production executive on Rolling Thunder, Future World, Squirm, Food of the Gods, Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, Friday Foster, Return to Macon County, The Land That Time Forgot, uh, Hennessy, Cooley High, Cornbread Earl and Me, Golden Neels, um, which some wouldn't be as excited about that as I am. Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat, Truck Turner, Madhouse, Bamboo Gods and Iron Men, Hallop and Harlem, Slaughter's Big Ripoff, Scream, Blackula, Scream, Scream, Sisters, Black Caesar, Black Mama, White Mama, uh, The Italian Connection, no way, Blackula, Dr. Fives Rises Again, Boxcar Bertha, Frogs, oh man, this guy called bullshit, this guy's worked in a lot of great films, I mean, wow, good on him, I guess, um, but as far as actually directing, he directed three things. Oh, he was uncredited on People Toys, I guess. Uh, or, sorry, People Toys. He did something that sounds pretty amazing in 81 called Lovely But Deadly. It's got uh, Lucinda Dooling in it. Um, John Randolph. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Frankly, I wasn't all that familiar with him. But um, he seems to have been around um, for some... Uh, that's a pretty impressive lineup uh, to have been involved with, have any hand in, frankly. A lot of filmmakers that we really love around here and a lot of actors that we really love around here. Um, I know that this was a, a film that um, McGregor had spent some time... Uh, oh, I know what it was now. I know what it was. I remember now from uh, the, the Little Grips review, Sean McGregor kind of lost his mind a little bit and he went into a psych ward and then, uh, of course, they brought in Sheldon, I think, to finish the project, if I remember correctly. Um... Yeah, and I think there was another sort of seedy story where was it Carolyn Steller who played Lovely I, or Gail Smale, unfortunately named Gail Smale, uh, who played Sister Hannah. In any event, there was a youngish looking nun in the film, and I think that he was dating her at the time, or they came into a dating, and I don't know. There was some pretty salacious things going on from what I remember hearing from. Uh, Aaron and Chris, uh, on their review, just that uh, what was going on behind the camera was, was pretty fascinating. Um, so the film itself, to kind of get into that, uh, it's got some fun things happening. There's a pretty wacky cat fight early on, which... Uh, oh, hello there. That is my phone. I better get that. Let me pause this. Okay, so anyway, uh, forgive me for that. I'm actually trying to multitask and work while I record. Um, yeah, so there's some pretty wacky stuff early on, and there's a lot of slow-mo early on. It's almost to the point of parody. It's like that um, video that kind of went viral in, in our circles. Um, it was supposed to, it was, I think it was said like the, the worst on-screen kill ever, and it was a Turkish film <laughs> that someone had looped of this dude getting shot by this woman 
and he just kept screaming and it was like a, just this never-ending kind of scream as he was slowly falling to the ground they just looped the footage over and over so there's got a lot of slow-mo that's kind of uh, uh you know a little bit to the point of parody but in saying that some of it works pretty well because some of it's pretty brutal for its time um so it, it just i think they could have taken the oh goodness gracious um, I'm being told that my son is still, my oldest son's still awake and I have to give him another kiss. So I'm pausing this recording again. I hope I'm not going to be a people toy. Okay, I'm back. Thankfully I was not turned into a people toy. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, the film, um, sometimes doesn't really know when to hold them, know when to fold them, which is a problem I have throughout the film. Uh... There is a great line from Leif Garrett when someone refers to, one of the adults refers to him as a little guy, and he says, almost in this robotic voice, don't refer to me as a little guy, I'm a 12-year-old male. Just very bizarre. I mean, the kids put in decent enough performances, but I think one of the problems we all have with the genre is that it's hard to suspend disbelief sometimes. Um, there's very few sort of evil children films that work well. Uh, Orphan is probably the most recent example. Who Can Kill a Child is a high watermark. The Brood in some ways, um, although it's a little bit above and beyond that, there's a lot more going on than that. Not to say the other films don't have a lot going on, they do. Um, Exorcist, but then you're getting into the possession stuff. But films that run comparable to this, that I think does a lot better, that we've covered on the show... Uh, that has a nasty streak and doesn't feel kind of inept at times is Bloody Birthday from 1981, which I, I want to say Synapse put it out. Anyway, it's a great DVD shot in California. Um, really fun film, really fun film. Uh, but there's a character in this, Papa Doc, who's kind of the patriarch of uh, of the, the house, and uh, he's, a, he's a bit of a shithead, to say the least. Um, played by Gene Evans. And... For some reason, I, I, at times it reminded me of Orson Welles in a way, and I would have loved to have seen Orson Welles bring the gravitas that he had to the uh, the Papa Doc role. Um, I don't know; that just kept popping into my head. Then, one of the things, that, one of the things in this film that stood out was there's a, a scene that's unintentionally skeevy of um, of a, one of the kids washing dishes, or was it one of the kids washing? It's been a while, about a week since I've seen this now, maybe two weeks. There's a, I want to say there's one of the young girls and a, one of the grown-ups washing, uh, washing dishes together that seemed a bit ski, unintentionally skeevy. Um, I love uh, Papa Doc's pronunciation, and I think again, Demel Creeps brought this up, the pronunciation of piranha, which, and this may in fact be the right. <laughs> pronunciation I look like a shithead for for mocking it but he says piranha over and over we hear about piranhas and you have to think that in a film like this when you're going to set up piranhas that someone will be fed to the piranhas so um yeah we get one of the things that was awkward for me speaking of Kent Hall in our group is there's a scene that, that we get a nude scene with um the actor Taylor Locker, which is awkward because it looks like Kent, and I'm looking at this man naked, and it's. I never thought I would. That line would be blurred where I'd see Kent naked. This dude in our group that comments a fair bit, so it's pretty awkward. It's like seeing X Pac in, uh, 
that China video. I just don't want to see some people's wangs, man. Um, anyone's, for that matter. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a great line I did want to mention in this uh, that is told to Harvey, who's uh, Boss Hog. Uh, she says, Harvey, I have a headache, a toothache, and I'm expecting the gout. It's like dude's getting everything thrown at him to throw him off. So, yeah, but... Um, uh, the film itself, I just feel like it, it kind of spins its wheels. I don't feel like it, um, I don't feel as if it reaches a crescendo. I feel like it's very flat all the way through, which is unfortunate um, because I really started to tune out about 45 minutes in. I, I kind of just was losing interest and I felt like a lot of the, even the kills, frankly, weren't very brutal, I thought. Um, you know, Who Can Kill a Child is, is still the high watermark for the genre. I mean, it's a masterpiece of a film. Um, but yeah, it, it didn't really work for me, unfortunately. So I'm going to get into my maker breaks and all that. So this one's a trick. Sorry, Em. Next year, I'm sure I'll love what you pick. Um, the maker break scene is... What broke it for me was a lack of of um, the stakes getting raised or sort of, you know, you get build to that kind of finale. It just felt kind of flatline all the way through so uh, the break was just that it didn't have this crescendo that it built to mvt i'm gonna go with sorrel book just because i love boss hog and it was amazing to see him as the sleazy armenian gynecologist in this um my score for the film is a 4.5 out of 10 like i said if you're going to do killer children you have to do it very well because it is something that you already going in sort of behind the eight ball because it's like okay just kick the child in the face and it's game over um but yeah so that's that um i want to thank emily for programming it because i did want to see it for a long time so it was very cool that she picked it we had we had the espn so thanks em and with that i will say adios all right, all right, you've been listening to the Midnight Ride with Lodge William, baby. Stay tuned for another episode where we bring the pumpkin to the pumpkins and the hangman's rope to the city folk. How? Fait la peau, la peau du docteur.